What do we need to do now to make sure that we have the plumbing in place that we're going to scale as an organization? I think very quickly, if you can remind people of like actually what matters as an organization, they're going to work through the problem together and then get to the solution together, if you see what I mean. So I think context is so important to ensure that you have alignment and how you move forward. And ultimately, no one knows the answers to these things, right? Like you need to approach problems from a fresh perspective. And I think if you can give people the context, you get really productive results. Gainsight presents the Game Changer Podcast with host Adam Joseph. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of the Gainsight Game Changer Podcasts. I'm Adam Joseph, your host and the Regional VP of Customer Success at Gainsight. So in the age of hyper growth for customer success, it's absolutely vital that you've got the right foundations in place from the outset and make sure that everyone is aligned, not just within the CS team itself, but as the company as a whole. But what are the right foundations to build on and how can you make sure they not only work when you've got just a handful of people in the team, but also when you build it up to tens or hopefully even hundreds? And are these customer success foundations the same in every company or does it differ based on your organizational culture, maturity, industry or product? So I'm delighted to say that joining me today to discuss this is Henry Trevelyan Thomas, Vice President of Customer Success at Tessian, who wrote an amazing recent blog on this very topic called The Five Pillars of Customer Success. And he joins us today to dig even deeper on the subject. Henry, a very warm welcome to you. Thanks very much, Adam. Really excited to be here. No, it's great. And I really, really enjoyed your blog, which we'll share as part of the pod as well. I'm really excited to dig a bit deeper. But before we do, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and, and even Tessian for anyone who hasn't come across Tessian before. Yeah, of course. So Tessian is a cybersecurity company that protects people against making mistakes or breaches um, in the enterprise. Um, I joined Tessian around four and a half years ago. When I joined, we were around five people sat around one table figuring out how we bring our first product to market. And we've now scaled to around 200 people split across both the US and also London. We've raised around 120 million from some of the most legendary venture capitalists out there. And I oversee all of our customer facing teams. So CS management on one side of the table and then on the other side, like operational technical teams, such as onboarding implementation, pre and post sale support sales engineering, and also a CS ops team. So yeah, looking forward to sharing some of my perspectives today. Fantastic. Well, look, before we get too much in the detail, I'm always interested to know a bit more about my guests, but you know, what's behind the professional. And I know you and I are a lover of, of sport and football in particular, and we're still slightly hurt by the result the last weekend when we're recording this, when England lost on penalties again to, to Italy. My voice, so maybe my we'll voice just recovered from that day. Um, <laughs> so maybe we'll steer it away from football, but interested to know kind of what other kind of sports, maybe not something so typical as football. Is there anything slightly unusual sport-wise that you're into? Good question. I grew up in the southwest of England in a place called Cornwall. And I, so I always grew up surfing. And actually, my most recent obsession has been kite surfing for the last five years or so. Every holiday, I try and weave it into a kite surfing destination. But the most unusual support, I think, is my brother and I, knowing that we weren't going to be able to travel much this summer, 
we bought a hydrofoil board, which we have been using when we head down to Cornwall. And it's pretty cool. It's a very different sensation. And I'm very bad at it. But by the end of the summer, I'll be getting better. So for the ill-informed like me or anyone else listening to this, what is a hydrofoil board? It's a great question. It's essentially a normal surfboard, but it has a hydrofoil underneath. And then you have a wing, which is, think of it like a sail or a kite that you hold. And then as soon as you get momentum, the board rises out of the water and you're oh, coming yeah, through the long That's really yeah. cool. I'm sure anyone listening on the West Coast and San Francisco in particular may know what it is because it's pretty popular out there. I think we were the first hydrofoiler, especially in our area in Cornwall, and everyone just looks at us thinking like, what is going on there? <laughs> and that's probably because we're falling off the whole time. Well, you know, it sounds like enormous fun that I'd probably have no chance staying on balance. So <laughs> I would only kind of look at in admiration for anyone who can actually do it. So it sounds fantastic. Well, it just coming back to the, the core subject today, and you mentioned there at Tessian just the, the kind of sheer growth that you've seen within the business and kind of customer success more specifically. So is that what motivated you to write the blog and about the five pillars of customer success and getting those right foundations in board? Yeah, exactly. I think when I think about setting the strategy, one quote particular jumps out at me and I always remember, which is one from Michael Porter, which said, the essence of strategy is choosing what not to do. And I think it resonated so much being in a company in hyper growth mode where you're constantly presented with so many options and channels that you can go down. And I think especially in CS, it's so easy for customer success to be seen as that everything function. There is so cross-functional by nature. There's so many overlaps with other areas of the organization. It can be really hard to know what you should and shouldn't be doing. And what I really wanted to do is remove the emotion away from saying, oh, we're not going to do that by really focusing the team and having alignment amongst the team, but also the leadership of the company about where CS should focus to have the most impact for our customers, but also our company. It's a great point. I remember actually another great blog by Rav Dhaliwal recently, who I also recorded a pod with, and he wrote, you know, customer success can be the department of everything. So unless you define what customer success is and conversely what it isn't, it can kind of like everything else across the business that no other function really wants to own can be given to customer success. So I think having that manifesto, having that strong leadership there to define what it is and what it includes and and what the, the strategy is, is super important. And just coming back to the five pillars from reading the blog, we saw it. There were five pillars to it. So it was people, customer growth, customer health, community, and product enablement. And what I'd love to do is, is kind of maybe focus in on each one of those just to get kind of more of a sense of your thinking about how you implemented each one. So let's start with, I think, the most important one, which is your people. And Obviously, having a positive and vibrant culture in your team is paramount to success. Without it, you're very difficult to succeed. But when you've got four or five people, I guess it's easier to do. You know, you can create that kind of family atmosphere. Everyone's really digging in for each other. But then as the team grows, not only in number, but also geography, and you've got different types of individuals all from different backgrounds, how can you create that culture where everyone feels included, everyone feels satisfied and motivated? Yeah, it's a great question. It's why this pillar is first for me always. But for me, it's more than just keeping people satisfied. We spend so long trying to hire the best people that we need to make sure that when those people come through the door, we're creating an environment where they can feel empowered to challenge us and ultimately push the team forward themselves. So a lot of it around people for us has been about how do we channel people's ideas in the right way to ultimately drive great outcomes for our team, but also customers. And a key part of us doing that, and I wrote about in the article, is the people committee that we've set up. And our people committee is ran by the team for the team. And they deal with everything from which meetings we should be holding, how we're thinking about growth and scaling the team, you know, what is the next social that we're going to do. 
And what's been really powerful for us around like how we've kind of like structured that people committee is that once everyone in the team starts to realize that anyone can instigate change, everyone gets into the mindset of thinking like a business owner and a leader, and then starts bringing solutions and ideas to the table rather than like, hey, here's something I want solving. And then it all coming up to the managers or leaders in that organization and thinking like, well, I can't solve everything. I'm going to have to let some people down. So in summary, it's not so much placating or satisfying people, but it's actually saying to people, here is an environment in which you can drive change. And I trust you and empower you to go make that change. Yeah. And I think as an employee in that type of business, it's hugely motivating to feel that your voice is heard. Out of interest as a leader, I mean, I think one of the things that unites all people within customer success is that there's so many opinions out there and there are so many subjects that people have got strong opinions about one way or another. But within a team structure, and particularly as that team grows, if you've got some very strong voices from within the team that maybe have kind of views at different ends of the spectrum, on one hand, you can absolutely hear them. But how do you keep both of those individuals satisfied if you go in one direction or the other without the other person thinking their voice maybe isn't as important? How, How do you balance that? Yeah, it's a great question. One thing that we've done on that specifically when we deal with these big issues or um, big challenges that we're trying to address is that rather than just like comparing two different solutions, we try and work it back and we say like, what are the motivations? Like, why do we want to solve this challenge in the first place? And then what are our opportunities? And work through it quite methodically as a team, maybe as a focal group. So one example is we recently went through splitting our expansion into a CSM team and a AM team, whereas historically it was all done through the um, CSM team. And obviously that's a huge decision to like re-architect the team and structure of the organization. And to do so, we kind of brought everyone on that journey of saying like, hey, here's what we want to achieve as a company. Here's what we want to get to in three years' time. Now, what do we need to do now to make sure that we have the plumbing in place that we're going to scale as an organization? And I think very quickly, if you can remind people of like actually what matters as an organization, they're going to work, like they work through the problem together and then get to the solution together, if you see what I mean. So I think context is so important to ensure that you have alignment and how you move forward. And ultimately, no one knows the answers to these things, right? Like we're growing a company, you know, a human layer security company for the first time because we're creating that category. You need to approach problems from a fresh perspective. And I think if you can give people the context, you get really productive results. And I think what I love about something you said earlier, which is just because you're in a manager or director or VP role doesn't necessarily mean you have a monopoly and all the great ideas. If I think about how I've run customer success in my career, like you, I've tried to empower my team to always feel that they can come and, and not only bring a problem to the table, but also just have an idea of how they might solutionize it. And very often, actually, when the ideas that you've got combined with them and you can create something together is phenomenal and, and goes a long way to make sure you've got motivated employees who really thought bought into the solution, which is super important. So that's great. That, that covers kind of the people pillars. Let's move on to the second one, which is all around customer health. And this is something we philosophically believe in very much at Gainsight as well. And we're very fortunate to have Tessian as a, as a Gainsight customer. But this whole customer health piece and having a deep understanding of customer health and using that as a leading indicator for customer intent, because obviously you don't want to wait for, God forbid, a churn notification to come in and then start putting some kind of risk framework methodology in place. So how is it? I'm really interested to know what a Tessian do to make sure you've got like an effective scorecard to predict customer sentiment? Is it based on objective data, subjective gut feel? Do you need to continually keep it updated? What follow-up processes do you have? So talk to me about customer health, Henry. Yeah, of course. So first up, a mixture of data and gut feel. I think it needs to be a mix of the two. I think that's really critical. Um, and the way that like I reflect on it at Tessian is our data and our health score 
gives us a really good base level understanding of the state of an individual customer and our customer base at whole and critically how healthy we think they are. So based on certain criteria we've put around what we think a healthy customer is, we can then say, hey, this is a green, orange, red, or whatever customer. And that's a really good starting point internally. And when we go through our quarterly planning cycles, so your quarterly account planning, deal reviews, et cetera, et cetera, we use that as a really good starting point, a good gut check to say, okay, this customer, we've got them in an expand area of the customer lifecycle, but they're in poor health. Or the health score is saying they're in poor health. Where's the disconnect? It's a really, really good starting point. But I think the important part to know and learning that we've had is like, it's only a starting point. Um, it's a critical starting point, but only a starting point because customers are only as healthy as they think they are. And this is where I think the gut feel and CSM really needs to come in. And it requires the CSM to have a great empathy and awareness of what's happening in the account and to not be afraid to ask customers the direct questions. So every meeting that we have with customers, we when CSMs are logging notes to that meeting, we ask CSMs to provide their sentiment of the customer at that time then that feeds into our health score. But I think that we always have to remember that a customer is only as healthy as they think they are. And whilst the data is a great starting point, you hire the CSMs for their EQ and empathy, and you need that to be put to work in an account to have a really good understanding of, of how health works. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. I mean, earlier on in my career, I made the mistake of weighing too heavily on product usage telemetry data and almost saying, well, if a customer's logging in every day, if they're using login metrics are off the charts, then they must be happy. But of course, it's not because you might be the only player in town and, you know, there might be some specific functionality that isn't available. But as soon as that functionality becomes more widely available, they're going to jump ship as soon as they can. So actually, are customers getting value? And, and as you say, it has to be a mixture of both data, but also sentiment as well. And, and, and kind of the trick in my eyes is just making sure you've got that breadth of data there, but also the weightings set up correct. And it is an art and it's something you need to refine over time because as your business changes and your customers does as well, that what is correct today probably won't be right in six months and definitely not right in a year. So continually thinking this is a work in progress rather than a job done, I think is a really important point when it comes to customer health. 100%. So the third pillar, which is all around customer growth, and this touches upon one, I think one of the most most important points in the whole of customer success, which is focused around uh, net retention. And, you know, I learned from one of the, what I call the masters of customer success, Don, uh, Dan Steinman, very early on in my career, that net retention for any is the golden metric for any reoccurring revenue business like Gainsight or Tessian. But clearly, you know, understanding the customer journey and what impacts net retention. So, for example, onboarding and getting that right and, and onboarding being probably the most critical part of a customer journey is, is bound to have a uh, an impact on net retention. Is that what you found as well? And, and how are you measuring kind of customer growth as a, as a whole in this pillar? Yeah, sure. So I'll start off with at the higher, like more strategic level, because like Dan, I absolutely love net retention. I think the power in net retention is an offensive metric, whereas gross retention is a defensive metric. And it's really powerful to have like that growth-based metric to guide a CS, well, not just a CS team, but a company at large. What I like about it is it takes into account expansion as well as retention, and then it recognizes that customer success is no longer, or it can no, you know, it cannot be simply a retain function. It needs to be a growth engine within the business that is pushing that business forward. So no matter where that expansion is, is actually being realized, whether it's in sales and account management team, CS plays such a critical role 
in ensuring that customers are growing with the company rather than just staying with the company. Obviously, we've been through three fundraisers and we've just closed our Series B and investors love it because it's such a clear indicator of customer health. It's not just saying our customers are staying with you, with you, but it's saying customers are spending more with you over time. And there's a lot of great literature out there about how like, the direct correlation between NRR and, and how it boosts valuations. And for me as a leader, that's been an amazing metric to build a team around because you know as a CS team that you are directly impacting a headline metric for the company that is focused around growth. And not every team can do that. So it's a really powerful motivator, I think, within the team. Then like more operationally on kind of like what we do to drive net retention. And obviously there are a ton of things that we do, like almost everything we do is geared towards how we can ultimately drive our net retention as a business. Onboarding is one of the ones that I called out in the article that has been one of the leading indicators for a strong NRR down the line. So what we figured out is if we nail onboarding for a customer, and when I say nail it, you know, we get them onboarded to all of their users in as short a time as possible. We have so much confidence in our product and the value that it provides that we know they're going to see value in the first couple of weeks after being onboarded. And then that leaves so much time and space for the CSM and the AM to partner to find out how they can find even more value for the customer, which ultimately leads to expansion over time and then drives up our net dollar retention. So we knew if we could nail onboarding and really get that down, then it gives CSMs and AMs the space to go and crush those net retention numbers. Yeah, the way you phrased it was amazing, it being such an aggressive metric as opposed to being a defensive metric for gross retention. And just for the avoidance of doubt for anyone listening in who maybe isn't familiar with how these things are calculated. So net retention is your book of business minus churn plus any up or cross sell. And gross retention is exactly the same calculation, just without the cross or upsell. Both are really important ways of being able to measure the effectiveness of your customer success strategy. But as I said earlier, I think net retention is definitely the one for any reoccurring revenue business as a key part of the CS role, whether you actually own the renewal or the upsell, is at least the identification and qualification of it. So it's, it's a really, really important metric. And then we move on to the fourth pillar, which is all around community. And this is something at Gainsight we feel very acutely, you know, whereas, as we are kind of created and kind of moved customer success onto its next stage of its evolution. The community has been a vital part of that, coming together, learning from each other, either informally or, or formally through different events, such as Pulse, which is always a, a very welcome opportunity throughout the year to get together. And we look forward to welcoming everyone back to the event when physical events are back allowed again, which hopefully won't be too far along. But I know community is super important to, to Tessian as well. So I'm really keen to understand how you think about community and how you've been able to kind of utilize both online and in person to bring all of your customers together and really give them a voice. Yeah, of course. And first up, I should say we're huge admirers of what the team of Gainsight have done around their community and really inspired us to think about how we push the boundaries of what we think is possible within the cybersecurity context. But much like Gainsight, we are creating a new category within security. And I think when you're doing that and when you're trailblazing to that extent, your community naturally becomes a lot more broader than just your product. So when customers buy Tessian, it's so much more than they're just getting their hands on our product to mitigate risk within their email environment. It's about us helping play a role in ultimately pushing forward the careers of our customers. And we're so lucky that we work with some of the most renowned security leaders out there. And we have such an ability to be able to connect these people and say, like, hey, I think you're going to get on really well with this person. Or, hey, you guys think about this problem in the same way. Or you're solving this and this person's about to solve this. But when we think about community 
as a program, we try not to pigeonhole it in any particular way to say, you know, we know that not everyone wants to take to a stage and speak in front of two and a half thousand people. So we try and figure out everyone's suitability to the different aspects of our community. And over the last couple of years, we've had everything from recording podcasts, connecting one-to-one with people with similar challenges, writing blog posts for independent magazines, speaking to the press, I mentioned podcasts, doing case studies, et cetera. There's such a plethora of ways to engage customers in ways that is most helpful for them. And it's been amazing. And it's been such a, it's been so great to see that, you know, we truly feel like we're creating a movement of, we call it human layer security amongst our customer base. But so much of that is, we've just created that framework to almost harness our customers' enthusiasm about our mission and and vision as a company and and their broader security missions and visions. I also think it plays as a differentiator as well. I mean, just like with Gainsight, a huge reason why our customers work with us is, of course, our leading edge software. I do think the community aspect of it and being kind of plugged into that network is super important as well, because in order to help them in our world mature their customer success strategy and then implement that based on the knowledge of others, it's just a super important part. And I'm sure that works with other interests, particularly one that Tessian's in based on what you've just said as well. And then we get to Vinyl Pillar, which is all around product enablement. And again, this is something that we've seen at Gainsight as well, particularly with we've brought PX out, our product experience product out to the market, which is all around helping users be able to get value from using a solution, not having to go through hours and hours of training, but just be able to, through on-screen tutorials or on-screen engagements, be able to get value really, really quickly. So from a product enablement perspective, how have you thought thought about this, Henry, and in terms of helping users get value in as short a time frame as, as possible? Yeah. So I think it's so critical to scale is the first thing to say. With the amount of vendors in market today, and you know, we work with cybersecurity teams, the amount of cybersecurity vendors in the market, our customers can no longer afford to spend hours on the phone or in a meeting trying to figure out how to do a specific thing within the product. And it's on us to help to figure out how we remove friction from them upskilling and how to use the product, whether that be through in-product walkthroughs, um, in-the-moment nudges, reminders, etc. We need to make sure that we're removing that friction from our customers, which then means in turn, their engagement with our CSMs can move away from that tactical, hey, here's how you do that, and towards those meatier strategic conversations of like, hey, where do we want your business to be in a year's time? What do we need to do to get you there? So very, very critical. You know, we're still on the journey at Tessian in, in terms of like implementing and doing it. But I think the way that you truly scale a CS org is doing exactly that and retaining the values of your CSMs and being longer term strategic partners. Brilliant. Well, look, that, that's given us an amazing walkthrough of these kind of five pillars, people, customer growth, customer health, community, and product enablement. To, to kind of finish off, what I'd love to know is if someone feels really motivated after listening to this and reading the blog about coming up with their own pillars of success within their business, when's the right time to really put this in place? You mentioned about the huge growth that you've had at Tessian. Was this something you started to build in place when you were just a handful of people or something that you needed to do later on? And the same model that we've spoken about here, these five pillars, do you think they could easily be replicated in completely different industries or verticals? Or do you think there are some key considerations that you need to slightly uh, evolve it based on the, the company or industry that you're in? So first up, when we did it at Tessian, it was, it was about a year ago. So we had already began scaling quite a lot. But I would say for other people listening, the earlier the better, really. And I think you can start really simple and then evolve it 
over time. And when thinking about what your pillars are, it's worth remembering that every company in CS Motion is different. For sure, you'll be able to look at the pillars that I've written about in the article, and, and I'm sure that there'll be a lot of overlap or at least a good starting point because many CS teams are focused on the same areas. But you should customize them to what is most important to your individual teams, but also your leadership, your broader leadership team as well. The most important thing about these things, it's not going to land if you don't have that buy-in from the leadership or you don't have that buy-in from like, you know, your other leads within the company and the other teams within the company as well. Because ultimately what they're intended to do is to drive focus. And if the other teams don't agree with those, the focus areas, you're always going to continue to have requests to do things that you don't believe align with your priorities. So by all means, I think this can be applied to every company, but make sure that it is relevant and resonating with people in your company before you implement them. Otherwise, you'll be fighting a losing battle. I think that's fantastic advice. I actually think back to the, in the original blue book of customer success, as I call them, the 10 commandments of customer success or the 10 laws of customer success. Yes, they are broad by definition, but they give you that foundation, that starting point from when then you can apply them within your own business to something that makes sense and obviously prioritize them in the order that you want. Henry, thank you so much for guiding it through. As I said, we'll provide a link to the original article, which I highly recommend everyone to read. But I actually think hearing you speak through the points was even just listening now for me was just such a kind of gave me a new areas to think about and to apply within our own business. So Henry, thank you so much. I guess my final question is, when can I come for that hydrofoil lesson that you uh, that you haven't promised me yet? <laughs> I, I, need to, I, need I need to be able to do it first before I can ask <laughs> you to do Adam. But, um, but yeah, I'll leave back on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Henry, thanks again for your time today. Thanks so much, Adam. Cheers. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Gainsight Game Changer podcast. Please follow, rate, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about all of our episodes, please visit Gainsight.com. This podcast is produced and edited by StudioPod. To learn more about their work, go to StudioPodSF.com.